I will sing of the goodness of God. Boy, he's been good to us, hasn't he? Amen. He is a good God, and we are so grateful for it. Hey, take your Bibles this morning and turn in them with me to the book of Genesis. And uh, once you get there, just hold your place there for a moment. I'm going to begin a, a new series this morning for the next three or four weeks um, entitled Facing the Giants. And I think you'll see where we're going with this in a, a little while. I really believe this will be a message that will help you and maybe encourage you uh, if you're going to walk with the Lord Jesus in a victorious manner. Um, facing the giants. We all have giants we have to face. And the title of the message for this morning is Giants in the Land. Giants in the Land. Well, I love preaching from the Old Testament. Uh, a lot of people don't. In fact, a lot of people don't even enjoy reading the Old Testament. And they think it's hard to understand, and it is at times. And they, they say, well, it really doesn't have anything to say to me today, uh, living today. And if you believe that, you're, you're sadly mistaken. Uh, the Old Testament is, is wonderful. And when you understand it uh, in the light that I'm going to share about in just a moment, you'll see how um, God can use it in your hearts and your life. And I, I remember many, many years ago, in the process of, of learning to study myself and being uh, preparing myself to be able to preach and teach, someone gave a very important principle of Bible interpretation that has helped me tremendously over the years. And they said the following, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And that will be a great help to you as you study through particularly the Old Testament to understand it. So this morning, I want to use a study from God's Word uh, to reveal how God's work, God's Word works in such a unique manner. Uh, I'll begin by giving you the truth that I want us to consider this morning out of the New Testament. And I didn't have you turn to these verses because I'm just going to mention them in, in, in passing there in your notes this morning. Uh, you can find the truth that I want us to take a look at. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2.14, uh, 1 John 5.14, other verses that speak of this same truth. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, victory in Jesus triumph in Jesus. Hey folks, the Christian life is, a, is an abundant life. Because we're in Christ, we can live in his victory. We can live in his triumph. We can triumph in him. Not many Christians live like that, but that's your privilege as a child of God. John goes on to say in 1 John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And as a believer in the Lord Jesus, we can walk in his triumph. We can walk in his victory over everything that might try to defeat us in this life. Jesus said this once, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Are you living in that life? Do you know his fullness? Do you live in his victory? Well, that's the New Testament truth that is revealed to us through Christ. Well, let's go into the Old Testament and see how that truth is 
concealed, and it's concealed all throughout the Old Testament, later to be revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, you don't have to go very far into the book of uh, Genesis, the very beginning of your Bible, where you are introduced to the topic of giants, the topic of giants. And as you read through the Old Testament, you will find that giants are mentioned numerous times. And it's interesting to note that almost every time giants are mentioned in the Old Testament, it's done so with them standing in the way of God's people walking in God's victory. In other words, every time we see in the Old Testament giants dealing with God's people, they're trying to keep God's people from having God's best. So I want us to walk through the scriptures this morning. It was funny this morning, Claire made the announcements in the first service and she said something that I told her. I, I told her to get up and get going. We got to get going. I had a two-hour sermon to preach. And she got up and told the first service, I had a two-hour sermon to preach. The bad thing about it, they believed her, I think. Um, so when I got up, I said, I do have a two-hour sermon to preach to you this morning. But the good news is it's going to take me three or four weeks to do it. So uh, this, this is a, a long sermon. I, I, at some point along the way this morning, I'm going to put a comma. Wherever I get to, we're going to stop. We'll pick it back up next week. But I want to introduce to you giants, and I want to introduce to you how we can face them in God's triumph and have victory over any giant that might be assaulting our life. First reference to giants in the Scriptures that we come across is found in the Old Testament book, the very beginning book of Genesis, Genesis the sixth chapter. After God has created heaven and earth, and we read all the introductory verses uh, about all that he did in creation, we come to that sixth chapter. And in verse 4, it says, and it begins, and I'm reading from a New American Standard, uh, the Nephilim, or Nephilim, however you would like to pronounce it. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. New American Standard calls this group the Nephilim. The King James Version translates it as follows. There were giants in the earth. The Hebrew word that is used here literally translates to mean a giant, a bully, a tyrant. So who were these so-called giants that were on the earth in the early days of the book of Genesis? Well, that's been debated by theologians for many, many years. No one knows for certain who they were, uh, but we do know something about them. Uh, it's interesting, there are some who say that these were some of the fallen angels who had come and who had been cast down to the earth. Possibility that might be true. But we do know this, whoever they were or whatever they were, they caused people to act wickedly. And the reason we know that is because the very next verse in the sixth chapter of Genesis goes on to say, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So, whoever these giants were, they caused the people on earth to act in a wicked manner. They were standing 
in the way of God's people living in victory. Well, the second introduction we have or second time giants are mentioned in the scriptures, we go to the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers, the 13th chapter. And there in Numbers 13 verses 25 down through the 14th chapter verse 1, we read about giants once again. Uh, to set the story in place, God had worked miracles in the life of the people of God through his servant Moses. Uh, they had been supernaturally delivered from the hand of the Pharaoh, and now they're on the way to the promised land. Uh, Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land, and it's important that you remember this. Moses did not send those 12 spies into the promised land to see if they could take it, he sent them into the promised land to see how to take the land. You see, God had already promised them the promised land. It was a promise they were to receive by faith. And Moses sent these spies in to see how they were to take it. We find out that they didn't move in the right way. We find an interesting story how they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they did not believe God, but they were to find out how to take the, the, this place called the land flowing with milk and honey. So here in verse 25 of the 13th chapter of Numbers, we pick up the story. When they, the spies, returned from spying out the land, at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us and it certainly does flow with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Just like God said it was. I still remember as a small boy going to Sunday school in our Baptist church in Macon where we attended. And I remember, y'all remember some of you my age or older, remember the old flannel boards they used to use in Sunday school classes where they would put stuff up the flannel board or you'd put up a poster. I remember them putting up a poster of the spies coming back out of the promised land carrying on sticks on their shoulders with these huge bunches of grapes over those, uh, over those poles. And they're bringing back the fruit of the land. And they said to the people, it's just like... God said it would be. But then I want you to look at what happened next. Nevertheless, but, hey, by the way, when God tells you to do something, you better never say but to him. Nevertheless, but the people who live in the land are strong. The cities are fortified. They're very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Enoch. Who was Enoch? He's a giant. The descendants of Enoch there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites. And you would expect them to say the termites as you read those verses. They're living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said... We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we should surely overcome. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. 
So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone is spied it out as a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There we also saw, and listen at this, the Nephilim. The Nephilim. The sons of Anak are a part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. And then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. So instead of walking by faith and obedience to the promise of God, the spies came back with a bad report. The people believed their unbelief, and we find that God allowed the giants in the land to keep them from entering the promised land. And for 40 years, this generation wandered in the wilderness, and they missed God's best for their lives. Did, did you notice, again, verse 33 said that the Nephilim were there? And here we encounter those same giants that were in Genesis 6. And notice it also tells us that the sons of Anak are a part of these evil giants. I'll have more to say about them later. But once again, we find that these giants were standing in the way of God's blessing and in the way of victory for God's people. Hey, I have to ask you this morning. I wonder today what giant is standing in your way of having God's very best in your life. Could it be a giant of some habit or some sinful stronghold on your life that you just can't seem to break? Could it possibly be that giant of fear or worrying or fretting that stands in your way? Could it be a giant of a strained relationship that keeps you from having God's best? Maybe it's the giant of doubt and unbelief. That giant stands between you and God and keeps you from having all that God wants you to have so that you don't walk in his victory and you're not living triumphantly in Christ. Well, that's the second time we read about giants. Let's go to the third time in the Bible we're introduced to giants. You find that in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. 1 Samuel 17. And this is a giant that we all know about. If I was to ask you this morning, stand up and name me a giant in the Bible. Everybody would get this one right. Who would it be? Goliath. That's who we're introduced to here in 1 Samuel 17. Uh, while I don't have time to read all of these verses this morning, I am going to read a few select verses and make some comments as we walk down these verses together. Beginning in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Sokah and Ascah in Ephesus Damon. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was clothed with scale armor which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. 
He also had bronze greaves on his legs and bronze, a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you the servant of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight against me and kill me, then he will prevail and will be your servants. But if I kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Well, what a, what a graphic description of this giant. Wow, he was big. I mean, folks, he'd make Shaq look small in many, many ways. Goliath was almost 10 foot tall. But please mark something very important here. He was standing in the way of the people of God from having God's best and from experiencing victory in the battle. And that's what giants always are trying to do in your life and in my life. Verses 25 and 26, the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistines and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Hey folks, David gives us a very important truth. And by the way, this 17th chapter is so loaded with concealed truth. It's absolutely unbelievable. We'll spend some more time in it later. This is what he's doing. He is telling Saul that that giant had no right to taunt the armies of the living God. And folks, listen to me this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you need to understand that that giant in your life has no right to taunt you. They have no right to be there unless you've given them permission to be there. Jesus has already defeated those giants. And you can walk in his victory. And the only reason he's there is to taunt you and to keep you from having what God wants for you. He has no legal right to be there taunting you just like Goliath did not have right to be taunting the armies of the living God. Verse 32 and verse 37, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go out and fight this Philistine. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to him, go and may the Lord be with you. I bet Saul did say that. Go home, buddy, if you want to. Hey, David, once again, is sharing important truth with us. He's reminding us that we have to stand against these giants, folks. We cannot fear and we cannot retreat from the attacks of the enemy. We must face our giants and stand against them, or they will continue 
to keep us from having God's best in our hearts and our lives. Verses 38 and 39, then Saul clothed, and this is, this is very interesting, listen. Then Saul clothed David with his garments, put a bronze helmet on his head, and clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. Now, please notice that David could not stand against Goliath with Saul's armor. And in the same way, we cannot stand against the giants in our lives with the weapons of the flesh. In light of what we are told in 2 Corinthians 10 and Ephesians 6, we cannot do battle against the enemy in our own strength or with the weapons of our flesh. We must stand against the enemy, the giants in our life, in God's power and with the armor of God in order to defeat him with the weapons that God has given us to defeat him with. And we'll come to that again in another week or two. Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. And again, David gives us a key for fighting the enemy, the giants in our lives. We must do war in the name of the Lord of hosts. And folks, when we do so, those giants have to bow at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 40, one of the most interesting verses in this whole story about David. It has intrigued me for years. It says this, he took his stick in his hand and he, David, chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in his pouch and his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Again, I've always been intrigued by this verse. David picked up five stones out of the brook, but he only needed one to kill Goliath. Now, in the first place, there's a lot of symbolism, a lot of type there in those verses. We'll come back to that later. But he picked up five. Now, let me ask you, uh, why did he pick up five stones? Was he afraid he was going to miss? Well, I don't think so, and here's the reason. David had one shot at that giant. If he'd missed with that first stone, there would have never been time to reload. He would have been dead in a heartbeat. Goliath would have tore him apart. There would have been no chance to stick another stone in his sling and throw it at that giant. That's not why he picked up five stones. You see, Goliath had four sons, and David was going to kill them too. But for some reason, he left that job undone. We'll talk about that more a little bit later on. Now, it's important that you know that David did all of this when he was just 17 years of age. And by the way, if you study scriptural numerics, you will find that the number 17 in Scripture is the number for victory. What a beautiful picture we have of God's victory over giants in the life of King David. 
Again, don't miss this important principle. We can either destroy the giants in our life by the power of God, or the giants that are in our lives will keep us from having all that God wants us to have in this life. Well, those are the first three times we're introduced to giants in the Scriptures. Let's go to one more this morning. The next time we see giants in the Bible, go to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, the 21st chapter, verses 15 to 22. 2 Samuel 21, 15 to 22. Now, I want to say something to you before I read these verses. In fact, I want everybody to look up here. Look at me a minute. Choir, look at me. Y'all have to look at me all the time. Um, Y'all get to see my better side. But anyway, look at me. Listen to me. If I see anybody in this room laugh at the way I pronounce these names, (laughs) I will bring you up here on this pulpit I will give you my Bible, and I will make you read them for the group instead of me. You understand? Amen? The truth of the matter is, you don't know whether I pronounce them right or not. You ain't got a clue either. We had a, we had a, when I was at Lilburn, when Katrina hit, um, we had three families that got relocated uh, out of our Baptist seminary in New Orleans to Atlanta because we have a seminary campus here in Atlanta. And uh, we hosted three families. And one of those families, and they all joined our church, were part of our church. They lived in some missionary housing that we had. One of those families was Dr. Francis Kimmett. Now, Dr. Kimmett was the head of the Old Testament and Hebrew department of the undergrad studies of New Orleans. I mean, I've got the head dude teaching Old Testament in Hebrew sitting in my congregation every Sunday listening to me preach. I didn't preach out of the Old Testament for three years. Uh, you talk about being intimidated. And not many people intimidate me, but he did. And he didn't mean to. We became very close friends, very good friends. And I tell you, I got over that intimidation one day. We were, I was teaching through one of the minor prophets on Wednesday nights. And I got to one of those names that's about this long. Y'all know, y'all know what I'm talking about. And I, I had no clue how to pronounce it. So I went to find Dr. Kimmett. He was teaching one of our ESL classes for a second language, English second language. I interrupted his class. I said, Dr. Kimmett, I'm, I'm fixing to go teach. I need some help. And I showed him the verse. I said, hey, tell me something. How do you pronounce his name right here? He looked at it and he went, Ken, I ain't got a clue. <laughs> I never worried about him sitting out in my congregation again. He didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue. It didn't make any difference. Uh, but seriously, listen as I read. 2 Samuel 21. Now when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David went down and his servants with him. As they fought against the Philistines, David became weary. Then Ishbi Binab, can you imagine a mother naming her child that? Ishbi Binab, who was among the descendants of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze in weight and was girded with a new sword. And listen at what it says about this giant. And he was intended to kill David. You might think that giant in your life is no harm to you. But folks, let me say this to you this morning loud and clear. 
The enemy has placed that giant there to kill you, to steal everything he can from you, to take away the very life and the blessing of God from your life. Jesus once said of the devil, he called him a thief. And he said, the thief comes only to do three things, to steal, to kill, and destroy. So I don't know what giant you're facing this morning, but that giant's there for three reasons. To kill, to steal, and destroy life from you if you don't deal with him properly. Just like this giant intended on killing David, so that giant in your life is trying to destroy the life of God in you if he could. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, helped him had struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out again with us to battle, so that you do not extinguish the lamp of Israel. Now it came about after this that there was war again at the Philistines with Gob. Then Sebekai the Hushatite struck down Saph, who was among the descendants of the giant. There was war with the Philistines again at Gob and Elohim, the son of Jerah-Orjum, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. There was war at Gath again, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also had been born to the giant. When he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Simei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. How about that? Not many people even knew David fought giants other than Goliath, but he did. Now, it's interesting to note the King James Version translates this as brothers, but in the Hebrew language, it actually translates as sons. But once again, these giants were standing in the way of God's best for his servant, King David. And I'll come back with, and deal with that a little bit later. All right, my time's almost gone this morning. I told you I'm going to put a comma here in a minute. Three truths I want to give you this morning. I'm going to at least give them to you. We'll develop them for the next week. Three truths from all these verses I just read and this whole teaching about this matter of giants in our lives. I want to give you, I hope you'll understand. You need to understand. Truth number one, giants are always doing more with us. Giants will always be doing war with us. As you already can tell from the study this morning, we find giants mentioned numerous times in the Bible. And they're always standing in the way of God's best for God's people. It's interesting to me to note that when David fought Goliath, he was 17 years of age. So as a young man, he's fighting one giant. But when these verses in 2 Samuel were written, David is fighting four giants. And he's probably around the age of 78 years old when these verses are written. So when David was an old man, he's still fighting giants. Been doing so for 60 plus years. And folks, that's true for all of us. Listen to me, and this is, this is just a confession of my soul this morning. I used to think the more and the longer I walk with Jesus, the less the battle would be. But you know what I've come to realize? It's just the opposite. 
The more I walk with Christ, the closer I get to him, the more intense the battle becomes. Hey, the more I walk with Christ and God works in my life, it does not make the enemy happy whatsoever. So what does he do? He intensifies the work. He intensifies the intimidation. He wants nothing more than to stop God's best for my life. So he pours it on. But you know what I've also found? As I've walked closer to the Lord and get to know him better, I understand more of his grace and his goodness. Boy, that song we sang a minute ago, oh my goodness. I understand God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy. And grace is given in abundance. And where sin once abounded, grace does all the more. Everything I need to walk in Christ's victory, I have in Jesus. But these giants become more and more numerable. God's grace does also. Dr. Warren Wiersbe once said, the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. And he is right, and the enemy is always at war with us. In fact, let me say this to you this morning. If you look at your life and you're not causing the enemy much attention, you better check out why he's not paying any attention to you. You start walking with Jesus, and buddy, I promise you, you'll have a target on your back after that. Giants are always doing war with us. And by the way, let me point out something else that's interesting. It's interesting to note that when David was 17, he fought one giant. But buddy, that giant was bold, wasn't he? He was brash. Everybody knew about Goliath. You couldn't hide Goliath. This morning, if I would have asked you, how many of you have ever heard of Goliath? Every one of you probably would have raised your hands. But when you get later in David's life, he's not fighting this bold, brash giant of Goliath. The giants are very subtle now in his life. If I was to ask, how many of you know the name of any of the four giants David fought later on in life? There might be a handful of people that could answer that question. Robin could because she's heard me preach this before. Well, I think you could. You, you did hear me. You listened. Okay. <laughs> they become more subtle. And again, listen, this is what I'm going to preach on next week. In our, in our beginning days of our walk with Christ... Oftentimes, the giants we have to face are those open brass giants that everybody knows about. And particularly if you come out of a lifestyle of wicked living, and if you were one of those that God had to just really rescue from the depths of sin, you, your, your giants were giants like lust and immorality, a foul mouth, giants of alcohol and drugs, bondage to tobacco, and all these open things that everybody knows about in your life. And those giants have got to go. But the older you get, you find yourself fighting more giants, but they become more and more subtle. But folks, because, just because they're subtle, does it change the fact that they want to destroy your walk with God. Giants are always going to be at war with us. Truth number two. I'm going to give you the second one and third one, and then we're going to close this morning, and I'll pick it back up next week. Y'all can remember week from week, can't you? I'm going to give you a test at the beginning of next week to see how much you remember. Okay? 
okay? <laughs> giants are always going to be at war with us. Truth number two, listen carefully. The giants of our youth will always give birth to the giants of our old age if we don't properly deal with the giants of our youth. Hmm. I'm going to say that again. The giants of our youth will always give birth to the giants of our old age if we don't properly deal with the giants of our youth. Again, this is just open this morning. The giants that I deal with today, folks, are not things that just came into my life yesterday. The giants that I deal with the greatest in my life today are things that I did as a teenager that I never really got right and I never really got rid of. And because of it, the enemy uses it to attack me deeper today than even when I was younger. I don't know how many times I've counseled with people over the years and they start talking about depression and they start talking about defeat and they start talking about discouragement. And when you really start to dig into their life, they always go back to back somewhere in their past where something happened and they never really dealt with that giant properly. And because they didn't deal with that giant properly in their youth, it's now come back to haunt them and they're being attacked worse than ever because the giants of our youth will always give birth to the giants of our old age if we don't deal with the giants of our youth properly. Truth number three. We'll develop that next week. Truth number three that you need to remember. It's interesting. When David got to the point he was fighting four giants in his life, he could no longer do it his own. It's interesting that the Bible says David became weary. And that third truth is simply this. You need help in defeating your giants. Hey, I got news for you. You can't on your own. Now, that doesn't, that's not very nice to say because we're all self-made people. We all like to think we have, a, have the ability to deal with anything that life comes our way or that, God, that, that the enemy throws our way. But I got news for you this morning. You can't deal with the giants in your own strength. You need help. And just like David, you need help in defeating those giants. Now, the good news, help's there. And God's graciously given us all that we need to be able to defeat the giants in our life. And again, we'll talk about this in the next couple of weeks. But you need help in defeating those giants. I'm going to close with this last story. It's a true story. I have not asked my son for permission to share it, but I think he'd give it to me. If he didn't, he'll let me know it later. Um, our, our youngest son, even though he was raised in a home that taught him early on about the dangers of alcohol, um, and he knew how much his dad despised alcohol, um, my son, Robin's son, got 
Well, I'll just be honest with you, he became an alcoholic, even as a young man. Um, a lot of things happened along the way. Uh, he knew it was a problem. We knew it was a problem. But he never got to the point. He always just kind of blew it off. I, I, I quit when I want to, which an alcoholic always says. The problem is they just can't quit. Um, it, it got so bad, he got uh, in trouble with the law. He almost lost his wife over it. He came real close to losing three precious little girls. Almost got fired from his job. And believe me when I tell you, he hit rock bottom, crashed. When he finally got to that place, by God's grace, Joel finally realized he couldn't defeat this giant. He knew the Lord. He'd come to know Christ many years ago. And I really truly believe he came to know Jesus. But Joel knew he couldn't defeat this giant on his own. When he started reaching out, crying out for help, help was given to him. And do you know what happened? We've watched God do a work, a miracle in the life of our youngest son, not only to deliver him from the alcohol, but watched him restore his family. This morning, do you know what my son's doing? He's been at two worship services. One, he's outside in this freezing cold weather with a parking ministry at his church. He goes to a huge church in Snellville, Georgia. He oversees the parking of getting people into God's house. And then after he has served for an entire service, he walks in with his family and he sits down and he worships, worships the Lord Jesus. And he's walking with Christ faithfully day in and day out. God has defeated that giant, but it took a lot of help. Hey, you need help. We'll find out where that help comes from in the days to come. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be here. Thank you for the victory that is ours in Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done for us so that we can walk victoriously. Oh, Lord, though the enemy may want to assault us, there is a victory in Jesus. Help us, Lord, to understand that. Help us to run to him. May we live triumphantly in him. So this morning, if you hear there's never been a time in your life that you've given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I can't think of a better time, better place than right here, right now. And in just a moment, Lee's going to come back. He's going to lead us in what we call an invitational song. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. If you need to give your life to Christ, God's knocking at your heart's door right now. You just feel compelled to come and give your life to Christ. I'm going to be standing down in front while we sing. Would you just simply step out from where you're standing? Would you make your way down front? Take me by the hand and just say, Pastor Ken, I need to give my heart, my life to Jesus. We have staff members who will take you back to the back for a few moments and share with you from God's Word how you can be saved and how you can come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. That's where your victory is going to start. It never will come until you have the King of kings and the Lord of lords into your heart and your life. 
Christian, if God has spoken to you, this altar's open. If you want to come kneel and bow for a few moments, you can't kneel. This altar here at the front pew, you can certainly do that. Or maybe just where you stand, you just need to surrender some things to the Lord Jesus. And we'll talk more about that in the days to come. But thank God today there's victory over these giants in our lives. Father, help us to respond at your appeal even now when we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Lead leads us in our singing. You respond as God has spoken to your heart. <laughs>